0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? I'm Mark and This is my podcast. WTF? Welcome to it i'm back home man i've been back home a day or two i got back home on saturday and i recorded my hbo special on thursday on friday i just hung around new york ate a giant meat sandwich tried to relax tried to feel like uh, i'd accomplished something great as opposed to feel like uh it's over. I'm done. It was okay. I tried to I tried to sort of ease out of it. But uh, now I'm back home and I'm exhausted. Today on the show I talked to Tommy Tiernan, Irish comic Actor, writer, you may know him as uh, Jerry in the show Dairy Girls. He co-hosts the Tommy Hector and Loretta podcast. He's also the host of the Tommy Tiernan show on RTE TV in Ireland. He's a guy I've seen around and said hi to for years. And I finally got a chance to sit down and talk to him on that last trip to Ireland. So let me tell you how it all unfolded. I can walk you through it. I mean, I woke up pretty normal. Like, I know I've been paying a lot of lip service to freaking out or or not taking care of myself in order to comfort myself, which is probably true. Uh, But ultimately, on the day of the taping, when I was going to do two shows for the HBO taping, I was sort of calm. And I think all of that comes from working the fuck out of this stuff for a year and a half. I mean, I definitely was confident in the material. I could have done it. in in my sleep in a way I mean I just the jokes were dug in they were dug into my neural pathways they were dug into my sense of timing they were dug into uh, they were just ready to go but I wasn't really bored with them which was good so the day of the show I got up and actually ended up it was weird because I thought my manager texted me to have coffee uh, David Martin Uh, and I was like sure let's have coffee and turned out it was Dave Manheim uh, Dopey Dave from the Dopey podcast. And it, it, you know, he texted me, I'm here and I'm like, why? Oh, that David. <laughs> but it was actually the perfect David to hang out with before the show. You know, because Mannheim's a recovery guy. We went and got some breakfast. We talked a real shit for a while. It got my head clear. Got me to purge some demons uh, by talking to another sober uh, drug addict. And it was a perfect way to start the day of the special um we did not record it i'm much to his chagrin probably we did not record that because he's always trying to get me to be on his show but this was just a couple of guys hanging out and he was grateful that i didn't make him go to Katz's because he works there but he's trying to you know spend his life there he doesn't want to spend his life at Katz's or hook me up with meat i didn't need meat the day of the, the morning of the show i did not need to to fill up on meat so about twelve forty five, 45 a car takes me almost to the theater Here's the thing about taking cars in New York. Take the fucking train. Just take the train, no matter what. Even if you're dressed for the opera, take the fucking train. Jesus, man. Guy got me about a block away, said, this ain't moving. I'm like, all right, I'll get out. I'll get out with my, with my fancy pants. They weren't that fancy. So I walked to the theater and kind of took it in, took in the, the they got the lighting up, the backdrop up. Everything looking great. Then I had to do a bunch of still photographs. Do a little hair and makeup. I was trying on the clothes. I I worked with a stylist this time. Um, I've never done that before, and I still have mixed feelings about it. But I'm told that it's going to look great. It. It's a little awkward for me because I tend to wear my own shit. So I, I try the outfits on. I get the hair and you know I get hair and makeup. I choose an outfit. Then we do a bunch of still photographs and. All this is going on while there is Russ and Daughter's food in the backstage area. That's what we had brought in. About five or six kinds of herring. um, Sable, smoked sable, smoked salmon. Couple kinds of cream cheese, whitefish salad, baked salmon salad. All kinds of bagels, pickles. Full Ashkenaz. We're going full Ashkenaz uh, for pre-show. Which is fine. Nothing like salted everything to maybe put on some water weight right before you get on stage. Now, generally... In my past, I've been shredding inside, just kind of losing my mind in anticipation to do the special, you know, to get on stage, just panic and worry and just wondering if anything will work. None of that happened. I was so prepared in my mind to do this thing that I was just sort of excited and kind of trying to eat as much smoked fish as possible because I didn't want any of it to go bad. These were the two places I was putting my energy I was trying to pace myself so I could eat as much smoked fish as possible, but also get out there and focus on the set at hand. We used the music that I uh, composed with the fellas. I don't have a name for it, but it came out pretty good. came out really good. So the plan was to, uh, I, I, you know, Brendan uh, McDonald did some of the uh, offstage announcements. I did an offstage announcement, and then we just brought the lights down, Popped up the backdrop when you're sitting in the audience before the show, it's just a bunch of white screens up there. And then the lights come down. Boom. Backdrop pops up. My big riff comes on. Bang. Then I walk out like 30 seconds later and and do it. So the first show was hot as fuck, not hot. Temperature wise. The audience was lit, almost too lit. They were very excited. All the jokes were, you know, popping Everything was good, but I fucked up the opening joke and I felt like I was a little too amped, a little too uh, excited, caffeinated, full of smoked fish. So the subtext of everything that's going on is I'm digesting the history of the Jewish people in my stomach. Just, well, at least Ashkenaz. I had fucking Ashkenaz food buzz going on. But the show went great and we tried to light this thing a certain way, this bit I was doing, and that completely got all fucked up which is fine and then I finished the show I went back out and I shot that thing again with the same audience so it was funny because they weren't told to wait you know in case we need to shoot something else so so I closed the show everyone's getting up putting their coats on and then Steven my director, is like go back out there go go back there go back out there tell them to hang out so I got to go back out there tell them to hang out and then we I told the story I just made it loose and uh, we reshot something that was fine and then it was sort of getting ready fucking filling back up again for the second show which was different because I was looser in a way I ate a bunch of babka in between shows so now we're going with uh, dessert ashkenaz and um, rugla so I'm kind of cranked on the uh, fatty cookies and cake but I get out there and it's a totally different show man the second show is totally different in that the audience was not as lit up uh, I had to uh, earn it. They were a great audience, but they weren't all jacked. You know, they were it was I would say it was an, a more honest show in a way because they you know, they were, I could tell I've been doing this a long time. They weren't going to laugh unless I made them laugh. The first show, I'm not sure. I think the first show they were just so excited. I probably could have done anything. But this show it was like I had to work for it and it was good. It was good that I had to work for it because it made the jokes uh, tighter and better and you know it made them it made them work more. The jokes. But I found room to improvise second show and a few things happened that I believe we will use in some of the material. I did stuff that night of the HBO special and this happens something this is something I do generally at all my specials is that stuff happened that that never happened before and probably never will again that night. I know where they are. I know which things they are. Maybe after the show runs, I'll tell you. But I improvised some stuff. I made some choices around the emotional drive of a couple of jokes. But a couple of beats just deliver themselves out of the ether from the muse, from the great unknown, which is how I generate material. It's given to me by forces I don't really understand in a moment. And that happened like two times, second show. And one of them really brought a lot of the the Lynn stuff and the grief stuff together, Uh, there was just a funny beat that wasn't there before and it was delivered to me, perhaps by Lynn. I don't know, but uh, it makes everything very present and very alive and that second show was, uh, it was longer, but it gives us a lot to work with. So all in all, it went great and I feel good about it. And Friday, I just hung out with Deborah Winger and I'm not name dropping. I love Deborah Winger, but we were kind of she used to come around on my Instagram lives. And then, you know, I met her. She came to the screening. I told you that. But then we went out and uh, had some uh, some Katz's Deli and just talked for like three hours. It was great. It was a pleasure. What like, No mics. It was fun. The whole thing was great. And now I just have to, you know, start eating like a person. Get off the fucking cigars. Start hiking up the mountain. And I don't know if I'm going to take it easy. I'm... I put in for spots at the comedy store. So here we go. I've actually got some ideas I want to work out. Here I thought, like, I'm done. It's over. And now I'm just going to go right back to it. But uh, all that being said, if you came to either of the shows in New York, thank you for coming. It was a tremendous experience for me. I hope it was for you. For the rest of you, you'll see it at some point, hopefully uh, earlier than later next year. And uh, and today you're going to hear me talking to Tommy Tiernan. You can get the Tommy Hector and Larita podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Dairy Girls is on, wherever that's on. Um, Kit loves it. Uh, She watches it all the time. She loves it. But this is me uh, basically talking to Tommy Tiernan for the first time in Ireland. Ireland. but what i was saying about about expectations and show business is you know after having so much resentment for so long (laughs)
1: yeah but you're you're fluent in resentment i know i am aren't you (laughs) no i'm
0: i'm uh, fluent in hope come on (laughs) come on that, I mean, really? is it, but are they are they the same when you're Irish? <laughs> Hope and resentment. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Let's start philosophically. Um, Do you know they have
1: the, they have these radio stations, uh, these Christian radio stations called Spirit and Yeah Endeavor? It'd be good to have one. Resentment. Well, yeah. Resentment FM presents.
0: Well, I think that part of what we do, honestly, is is that we are able to... I mean, you can't process bitterness sp- specifically on stage. I tried that. I tried to be bitter on stage when I was younger. I was prematurely bitter. And it, my assumption was that everybody is a little bitter. And uh, that may be true, it may not be true, but it's not entertaining. Well, I found...
1: I f- used to find that very attractive, Mark.
0: You, you did? Yeah. Uh. Those... Um,
1: I love listening to stand-up uh, as opposed to watching it. So, yeah. So I'd I'd always prefer a good C D Right rather than a Netflix thing. Sure. So I remember all those, you know, um Tickets still available. Yeah, yeah. Uh this had better work. <laughs> not sold out.
0: Not sold out. The trilogy, uh not sold out, tickets still available and um oh what was the other one? I can't was remember. Was it one with the hope the word hope in it. I hope this is Oh yeah yeah this this has to be funny, I think. And, uh, but
1: I thought they were all fantastic, Mark. I, I didn't see it as a... Um, oh, final engagement. Final engagement. That was, was the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah.
0: That was the one totally unprocessed material and in the middle of my wife leaving me. Well, that's, Great, two hours.
1: To be a passenger on that trauma for you was entertaining.
0: Yeah, well, but I think that's why I...
1: No, it was it was brilliant stand-up. So I don't, I, don't, I don't think that resentment, unprocessed resentment, it, it might have something to do with control. Uh-huh. When you're in, totally in control of the product, yeah, it becomes less interesting, right? So, so you don't listen to my podcast. So, <laughs> so <laughs> when it's a little bit unprocessed, yeah, it's like a horseshoe. Yeah, there's shape for the public to come in. There's, there's space for the public to come in. So that's why I found those it's early a horseshoe. CD. Oh,
0: it, it, that's a shape uh, metaphor. Not uh, you might get it around the pole. You know, Both. you might.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be a clang when you don't. <laughs> That's it. And so that I find that interesting, you know, that just that um, it's, uh, it's probably about, in a sense, authenticity, you know. That you want to be listening to somebody who's not quite... Like for me, and I hope you don't mind me being fantastic, I'll take this opportunity to be judgmental and talk to you as... Uh, a fellow traveller yeah do it so say George Carlin's later stuff right which I found it was so together it yeah. was so chiseled that there was almost there wasn't room for the audience whereas Lenny Bruce's kind of uh, he needed the audience yeah but he was kind of like he was he was flushing stuff out yeah. of himself right and in and some of that was messy and some of it was unformed and some of it was oohs and ahs and yeah. but it was more interesting but he was always checking
0: in to the audience, I mean, like even when Lenny was, he was always sort of like dig, you know, dig, dig. You know, he always dig this, yeah. Right, right. Whereas Carlin later was just sort of like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. This is how I think. Yeah, fuck you, take it. Which is just a bit. It's a bit harder to spend time with. It's but intellectually, philosophically, I found it uh, uh, satisfying, and I and I dismissed him. It wasn't until I watched the Judd Apatow documentary recently that I really started to reassess some of that older carlin sure yeah because i found a distance with him because unlike you or i that was a guy that wrote down everything yeah and that everything was worked out like a fucking math problem like you know when i watch you work or when i know my process i don't know your particular process but you're going to talk and you're going to see what happens and over time something will evolve eventually right but that's the way I do it too there's a tremendous risk in that but once you know that the beginning of it is funny then you're good
1: I think you're probably more of than stuff I've seen I think you're probably more of a risk taker a certain type of risk taker than I am I think I remember you saying to me one time you just load up and go (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah and that whole idea of uh, caffeinated
0: yeah angst
1: yeah with verbal dexterity, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> plus anger and resentment. I've gotten softer though. I've gotten softer. Have you? Yes, I've broken a bit. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit more uh, open-hearted out of necessity, out of uh, because you can't hold on to it uh, anymore. No, but that's but you've paid a high price
1: for that. That does, yeah. that doesn't that's not you know that place doesn't come easy. No, that's, and you wouldn't choose it. No, you know you can be you can say well you know. Uh, this softening has (laughs) benefits but you know
0: right it's just like oh the loveliness of age just made me wiser and a little more it's like no i got you get beat up you get hurt you get heartbroken heartbroken then you you know you you get agree you know you're in grief but i think like you know i i feel like i've always been those things but anger is a way you, you know to avoid those things and and also to to uh, to express those things. But, you know, the type of grief that I was in in the last few years is different because it's not, you, you know, it's not preemptive. You're not making it up. Mm. You know, real loss is real loss. You know, I don't think I acknowledged it as much, you know, when I got divorced or whatever because you can still be angry. And you can still be angry when somebody dies that you love, but it doesn't go anywhere. And eventually you have to surrender to what life is, right?
1: I don't know. No, I'm not going to challenge you on that, but I don't, I don't know.
0: What do you mean you don't know? This is why. This is like, I'm trying to understand <laughs> you know, why I like and feel psychically and and emotionally connected to this fucking country, and I'm a Jew, and I need answers from you.
1: I used to do this line: uh, "The Irish are like the Jews, but not as focused."
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So we're like, not as ambitious, you know. <laughs>
1: True. Um. I know we're both people of the word. Mm. Uh, what about
0: the sorrow, man? What about the sorrow?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, where does drunkenness come into it? I. I That's a treatment, is it? <laughs> well, I wonder about. See, okay, so again, speaking very broadly, yeah, we are a people, the Irish, who had uh, our country, we were colonized, we were starved, and we had. Our language taken from us, and that's it. To to be communicating in another people's tongue has its advantages, because you come with it with an Irish mind to the English language, so it it it's kind of like a you you become more creative with it. Mm. You know what I mean? You're naturally not operating from the same source as the English. Um. But we we always had our own country in the sense that you know we weren't looking for a homeland, we were here. Yeah, I think the Jewish experience is is radically different. It's of course there was the the getting of the homeland in after the Second World War, but there was also a a survival thing in other societies that that yeah.
0: you know a need to adapt and find the 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 places where we could uh, thrive in the midst and, of and pure. Be,
1: and be protected. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing that the word is really interesting, I'm very, very drawn to the Bible. Yeah. And those stories and... Both that, Testaments? Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I was, when I was thinking about talking to you, because Christian means something very different in America than it does here. It's not good in America. No, it's a little bit heightened and very sure of itself.
0: It's half fascist too, right? <laughs> yeah, it
1: is. It's, and it's a bit clean cut. It doesn't seem to be...
0: Not about service, no, it
1: doesn't, no, doesn't seem to embrace poverty the way
0: Jesus might have suggested. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. It's, a, it's been turned around into an anti-poverty stance. Yeah, you yeah. know, which is... Uh... How to transcend <laughs> from poverty. Like you talked about in one of your bits, you, po- you talked about Joel Osteen. And you yeah. know that seems to be the tone of spirituality. And then politically, it's just straight up fascism.
1: Whereas over here, I think it, it retains a bit more of its radical agenda. And for me, it's about being a pilgrim. As opposed to uh, a president, yeah. it's a bit more. Um, but I'm very yeah. Both testaments, and I, I um, there. It's an interesting map. It's an interesting interior map, as much as a an exterior story of a people. Yeah, you know. But I find the whole thing fascinating. An
0: interior map.
1: Yeah. Well, in that that something happened with Christ that was evolutionary. That uh, you know of transcending of making some kind of link between the human and the divine Mm. Uh, in an evolutionary way, Mm. not just in a um, philosophical way.
0: And were you brought up with it? Not at all. We had,
1: I mean, I had such a radically strange upbringing that I'm only kind of learning to appreciate now. How so? Well, I was born in the mountains, in the wind and the rain, on the cold northwest coast of Ireland. Are so, you,
0: is this a, the myth of Tiernan?
1: The myth of Tiernan. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Don't, I'm just. No, will I try and tell it again in a much more kind of sociological
0: way. Or No, no, I do, like it. I love it. I love it.
1: You either it. want the poetry or you don't. I want the poetry. That's <laughs> why I'm here.
0: But can't can I take a shot occasionally? No, you can't. No, just just relax. Dude.
1: Don't be interrupting. Take the tablet, and if it works well and good. But <laughs>
0: okay, so you're up there. So I'm up there,
1: and that part of Ireland back then was, um, I mean, you're, you're, for American listeners, it's Appalachian. Oh, really?
0: So what part is it? It's Donegal. That's where I, I was. That's where I went with Lynn the last time I was. Oh, here. yeah. So, oh, you, so you've been there. So it's yeah. kind of. So if you can imagine that fifty years ago. Wow. So and
1: then, at the age of three. We moved to Africa. So there's no explaining that to a child. Was that for what reason? For my dad. My dad, my dad said, because he, he thought Donegal was too remote. So <laughs> we went to Africa. For, for work? For my dad's work. What work was that? He worked with farmers. Okay. Um, and he gave up up there? Well, he—I mean—I I gave up what, like—I I don't know. With, with the farms weren't working out. Oh or? no, no, he was—he was working as a teacher. Okay, he taught—he taught religion and science. Okay, okay. Um, so he's a man who's used to living with uh, paradoxes. <laughs> yeah. Um Wow, that is interesting. That, so. So intre- it's an extreme. At the age of three, yeah, it's, a, it's an imaginatively brutal thing to happen. Yeah. So you go from wind and rain. And Rocks. Rocks and mountain. Um and also a very slow way of speaking. How's it going there now telling me this is the way we're going here and there's all this kind of talking and it's all slow and easy and there's no hard corners or nothing, it's just beautiful. There's no like there's no yeah you know, it, it wouldn't it's not an accent that would
0: suit you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like it though, it's very soothing, even for four seconds.
1: Yeah. Then suddenly I'm in Africa. Uh, and a, you know, I used to do a line about it, which is it was like moving from a photograph to its negative. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you are an uninterrupted landscape. It's heat, it's red dust, it's animals, it's different noises. So I lived there for three years, and all my pals were African. Um, and
0: you remember it from three to six. You have. I have remember. a sense
1: of. It. I've sense of it I, I've. I've looked at photo. I in the. T- I don't remember, but I'm committed to it through storytelling yeah so I know that it happened so I'll wander with words to try and understand it so it is almost memory a memoryless jaunt yeah but it happened right so I can talk about it sure imaginatively because I don't have actual experiences to draw sure three years of that and then as daft and sudden the move from Africa to Africa was, then we went to London. So all of a sudden it's cement, big buildings, the rain. Yeah. And then to Ireland.
0: Yeah, back.
1: And a few different towns in Ireland then. Um, But religion was never part of our house, Huh? never.
0: Do you have siblings?
1: I have three younger siblings, yeah, and no religion. They were
0: dragging all of them or they had some of them along the way?
1: My sister Anne, who's a novelist, was born in Africa um, and then my two Neve and Brian were born in Ireland. So, I I think that that I mean what we do is I was going to say it's beneath us. <laughs> uh, is it though? It, it's but it's a, it, it's a kind of a very it's a
0: strange thing we do, Mark. Uh, we talk. But, you know, I've seen you talk about it and, you know, and you see it the same way I do. I think kind of like, you know, people, I never set out to be an entertainer. It seems like it was more of a calling. You know, I set out to, to, I thought that stand up was some sort of. Now, a, hang on. So I have moved from the, the mythology of Tommy Tiernan
1: now to the, the myth of Mark Maron. Exactly, It was a calling.
0: I, I think I, it's the way I look at it in retrospect, because okay. when I saw, when I, when I watched comedy, when I was a kid. It made me laugh, but I thought I thought they were geniuses. I mean, to make people see things in a way that was, was palatable and manageable because it was funny, you could break down the biggest concepts into something understandable. It gave me relief. Who, it gave me who, a point of view. Who who did you like when you were? Well, early on, I just liked some of the, the older, you know, uh, the comics. I, I used to watch on TV Buddy Hackett, Jackie Vernon. Uh, and I liked, uh, I think when I had records, I had Cheech and Chong. I had oh, yeah. uh, Carlin Records. Oh, yeah. And the Richard Pryor records, but I think the 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 real birth for me was you know seeing when I was in high school I saw the Richard Pryor's first movie, you know when it was a movie, yeah. And I remember going and just being you know just shattered by you know the power of it. But when I just knowing for myself when I started doing comedy, it, I didn't set out to be an entertainer. Like I didn't say like you know I'm going to go entertain people. I needed to figure shit out, and I thought I had something to say. So who gave
1: you? permission to do that in the sense of who did you see that was doing that and you thought okay i don't care if nobody else has heard of this person the fact that i've seen their work has given me permission to try what i want to do
0: well oddly i think it it had to do with going to a comedy club you know maybe when i was in college i went to uh you know i i went to what in in, also in college who gave me permission like who were you copying when you started Jews, probably. I mean, I remember seeing Paul Reiser at the comic strip in New York and the same night that Eddie Murphy dropped by. And I must have been in college, early in college. And I sat with Paul Reiser and I brought this up to him when I talked to him because I said, how do, you, how do you do it? How do you start doing comedy? Yeah. And he said, I, I don't know, you just got to do it. And that was the end of advice. So when I was in college, I wrote a bit with a guy and we auditioned for a thing. Me and him as a comedy team, yeah. and then we were told to do it at a club, and we failed miserably. And then we were told to do it at another club, and it failed miserably again. But, but I think then I don't know if there was somebody. It was not one of these things where I looked at comics and I thought, that "There's no way I don't even understand how people do that." I knew there were comedy clubs yeah. by the time I was coming up, but you know, I started doing open mics and started, you know.
1: So I I remember um, I tried to work as an actor for a little while, and it's the worst. Well, I, I also, I I saw a guy called Phelim Drew, whose father was Ronnie Drew, who was in the famous Irish ballad group, the Dubliners. And I saw him in a show called Love and a Bottle by a guy called George Farquhar. And he played this kind of uh, knee-length, boot-wearing rake who was seducing women and just kind of moving through society. Riding all around him and drinking, and and I had no idea how that actor was doing what he was doing. I had, I just couldn't, I couldn't forensically understand his performance. And I've never had that feeling with a comic. No matter what comic I go and see, I can I, ah, you're doing that, yeah, ah, okay, yeah. So it's that thing of of what you can do, yeah, isn't it? And kind of going, well, I know I can do that. Huh. So the, even the even the strangest most brilliant comic yeah i can go i can oh i can see sure so i was never intimidated by right and with the i it's one of those things where it's you kind of i kind of feel as if it's slightly unfair that i can do this yeah because i it, to me it's like walking yeah
0: yeah i i i wish it was you know yeah i understand but i think i was intimidated watching comics i think i was less intimidated watching actors, and I think I'm still intimidated watching comics. I think there's still guys I watch and I'm like, fuck, I'm never gonna, you know, be that easy. It's never gonna be that easy for me.
1: Well, well, I still find you attractive. Well, I appreciate that. As a comic. Oh, good. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm still very drawn to you as, as a, because I think, um, and I've always, so the first one for me was Lenny Bruce, and I got into Lenny Bruce via, I was, in school, and I saw this guy walk past. It was 1985. With the cover, he was holding um, the vinyl version of *Infidels* by Bob Dylan. Yeah. I went, oh, okay, who's that guy? Yeah. So get into Dylan. Yeah. And from Dylan, then you, uh s- twelve months later, you end up hearing about Ginsberg right. and the Beats. Yeah. And then you you get into Howl yeah. and. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, angel-headed hipsters, yeah. you know. And you kind of go, "Jesus, what is that?" Yeah. And then you kind of plow into that a bit more, and all of a sudden, this guy called Lenny Bruce right. appears, and you're going, "You, I loved him before I'd even heard a word of out course. of his mouth."
0: Right. That's the way. It's exactly the way. You know. Yeah. And
1: then I started listening to Live at Carnegie Hall. Oh, that's the one. And
0: lost wages. <laughs> It's an ass. Everybody's vulnerable,
1: baby. Everybody's ass up for grabs. <laughs> it's not that Lenny Bruce is a sick comedian. It's rather that he comments on the so parts of society that are sick. Yeah. It's from the intro. It's a Paul Krasner or somebody. Anyway, so I didn't understand what Lenny Bruce was doing, and I and I'm in a in the west coast of Ireland. But that's the most accessible record. That one. Yeah. I don't think so. I think the earlier stuff is much more obvious kind of Father Flotsky's triumph with the big the bits and pieces. But
0: like when yeah. the Berkeley concerts like a, a physics. It's, it's more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, but I <laughs> but I, I think that the fact that they It's an endurance for test. Me. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it all connects if you listen to it over but and also, over again. But also yeah. well, but I I fell in and I'm yeah. still in love with
1: the architecture of what Lenny Bruce did even though I don't fully get everything. Yeah. Architecture uh, what it how does it So the drama it, of it do, do we, do we, do we that fantastic bit he does a comic at the Palladium. Oh, yeah. And that's about 4 hours well, it's about 28 minutes long, it's but crazy. it's so it's,
0: it's perfect. The, the guy's bombing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he goes, "Fuck the Irish." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's right. That's so
1: right. I, I think I fell in love with I think that's the thing that made me fall in love with stand-up was yeah. that it was possible to be dramatic. It was possible to tell stories um So he'd be the, he'd be the one for me that that I was excited. And then when I started doing stand-up... Where would you around, start? Here? I started in Galway. What was the scene? There was no scene. There was a comedy club once a week. Um, Who was there? Uh, so the guys were passing yeah. through, were all... There weren't any kind of North Americans. Rich Hall might have passed by every now and again. Right? Do you remember Scott Capuro? Yeah. Scott would have been through. Mike Wilmot would have been through every now and again. Mike. We would have... Maybe Dom Herrera would have yeah. passed through. All guys who were just at a, a level of professionalism, uh, but I knew I could do it. Yeah, I knew I could do stand up, and I knew coming as an from an, a failed acting background.
0: How much did you act though? That, really? that, that I, I
1: wasn't afraid of silence. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So sometimes you get guys. I remember seeing guys getting up on stage, and it was all it was all fast, and it was yeah, all yeah. Uh, there was no enjoyment of the actual theatrics sure of the situation well I think we all start that way you know yeah because I started I I started the other way I emerged from the silence to the word you know and definitely it.
0: you go now I mean and for you know most of your career you, you keep go you move and then I'm physical physical but also you got a pace to you got an energy to you
1: sometimes you know but it's all I'm still figuring it out I'm sure. still um, and you know so now my thing I used to do this, I used to breathe ridiculously before going on stage. What do you mean? Oh, you mean you freak out? No, I would kind of I would do thirty minutes of of deep breathing and holding my breath. An and
0: exercise. I, this was an exercise.
1: Yeah, and it was kind of as an altered state. Yeah. So it was like being slightly stoned. Hyperventilating. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. that. You know, um, and that worked for a while. You weren't drinking at the time. No. Um... Uh, Do you know the way First time you take cocaine on stage And you kind of go right, right, This is is obviously This is obviously my method now
0: Yeah This is the key It it, it always made me a little too fast But it works the first time And then you go Everything works the first time Yeah (laughs) That's the name of your next album (laughs) (laughs) Except sex oddly You know You'll nail it But it won't be It won't work You know Mm Mm-hmm I like that. That's a good title.
1: So, uh, and then you know, the first time you're a little bit drunk on stage, it works. Oh yeah, Uh,
0: I used to like weed. That was that was an okay place to be because then you kind of entertain yourself. That's what I got. What's where are you? Where are you with sex now? Do you mind me asking? After watching some bit you did about uh, having a hard time keeping it hard. Well, just that you brought it up that you mentioned. Where are you? Yeah. In general, I'm. I'm trying to. uh, it, it means a lot to me still sex and having it be good it means a lot to me still i i still i think i put you know i'm 59 and i still think it, you know it is right up there with probably the most one of the most important things to me in terms of uh, making life enjoyable Do, you um
1: the, the mechanics of it can be stressful, but the, yeah, but the, you just gotta, the physicality of it is a marvel. Yeah. The, the, well, the skin
0: the me- on skin is sure. a, the a marvel. The mechanics, you just have to find someone with patience. <laughs> you just have to find someone with patience. That after a certain point, you know, you reach yeah. a level of desperation when you're a certain age. And yeah, sure, it, it'll work with two people who want to make it work. And it's a different, because
1: um, I'm married now. and uh, How long have you been married? um Since... 2009 was that 13 years okay um uh, so the 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 familiarity of that yeah never and I, i kind of i'm able to say it out loud because it's true uh it never becomes i never take it for granted and it never becomes boring i can't believe sometimes that this other human being wants to get naked with me
0: you know i think that you know as you get older it becomes harder to to be with you know strangers or trying to be out there doing that yeah it's a little uh a little sad and a little exhausting but i think as i get older that you know and and what i just told you which is you know if you know what you want you can be honest about it and then you know work it out you find out what the other person wants. I think that evolves in a relationship.
1: Is there, is there a, a kind of, there's a tension between what you want what you're capable of?
0: Sometimes. <laughs> but you keep at it. And you know, and you, you, it gets a little sweaty, but you'll get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know. um,
1: a friend of mine said many years ago, he said, there comes a stage in your life when you move from the love adventure to the death adventure. Yeah, I'm definitely there. And he said, the death adventure is actually more interesting.
0: Well, how, what is the, uh, the, the spectrum of that? What, what are the, uh, the signposts of the death adventure? Aren't, I mean, at some point you realize, you know, I, th- I think first intellectually that we're all on a death adventure. But then it becomes very you know, practical and day to day, the death adventure. You know, when you go to the doctor or when you wake up and you feel a certain way and your concerns become different. Like I did it last night. I had heartburn last night and I'm like, am I going to fucking die in my sleep in Ireland? I yeah. guess there are worse ways to go. I, you didn't write a note or anything or? no no <laughs> that would be sad if you wake up like, this might be the night and every day that's the note you leave on <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen but I love everybody and whatever Um, but the but the what is the death adventure really is part of
1: it uh, taking yourself seriously and taking your soul seriously and saying okay I can run around the world And I can, um, sociologically, financially, creatively, I can try and make a name for myself or feel good about what I do or survive. But, actually, is there something else going on? Is there something else I need to pay attention to? I don't know how long. Like, I I met a friend of mine recently, and he said... <clears throat> he had a m- tremendous heart attack and was rescued from the edge and brought back. And he said to me, uh, if I die now, I know that there are two or three people out there who have benefited, benefited from the fact that I was alive. So he told me this story. It happened when he was 26 or 27 and he was working as a teacher in a small Irish town a 16-year-old girl that he knew from his hometown arrived on his doorstep pregnant. Mm. She'd been thrown out. And disregarding the optics of what it looked like, 26-year-old guy and a 16-year-old pregnant girl, he said, move in with me. And she more or less stayed indoors in the house for the rest of the pregnancy. Yeah, Went to Give birth he contacted the parents had a big fight with them persuaded them they never wanted to see her again persuaded them to come and meet the baby <clears throat> everything was all fine he says i know that that girl that 16 year old girl who's now 45 year old mother benefited from the fact that i was alive so then i started thinking about that jesus am i able to look back on my life and say the same thing i can say that i entertained people i can say that i you know that made people laugh or with the chat chat show that I do here that it was kind of you know it meant something to Irish people but I mean does the same where does my life fall on that kind of measuring scale yeah so stuff like that I think comes up when you start thinking about death you know that the death adventure is asks big questions of you and this guy said to me that he thought the death adventure was more interesting
0: well, there's also the list of people you might want to apologize to. <laughs> you know, uh, you know how how can I? Is there any way I can
1: that great Cohen line? I know you can't forgive me, but forgive me anyhow. Yeah, that's you know.
0: Well, that was that's one of the genius things. If there's any genius to to twelve uh, step recovery, it's that fourth step. You know, it's that list of uh, you know uh, the 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 inventory. Of where you're at fault, so you can see exactly who you are on a character defect basis, and you can you know make that amends list. Who do you owe this to? Who can you do this to, uh, where it won't damage yourself or others, or, or put you in a, in a problem? How? What's that list look like? And you get to do that. That's a good one. Are you are you good at having fun? I'm getting better. That's How, that's my part of my death experience. My uh, death awareness is that you know it's. I know I have limited time what are i don't know about fun but what are the things <laughs> that's that's another great album title <laughs> but what i don't things, know about fun <laughs> but i think joy might be possible um you, you know in in a, in a genuine way and and allowing myself to feel that i have a i have a very you know pretty strong defense mechanism against the vulnerability of happiness uh and and joy i don't know why i i don't know why i i don't allow myself or it doesn't happen naturally to feel it
1: i i'm i'm, I'm curious about fun and how and how to have fun i, I don't think I, I don't think i'm very good at it i have extremes so the extreme of being on stage you know and that uh gallop of laughter that is you can hear the the, the hooves yeah.
0: are you still hooked on it
1: oh totally oh. totally i i if i could i'd probably gig seven nights a week
0: um, I've been gigging more than I ever have And, and, and I've never been more engaged with it And, and excited about it And and I, and I think it comes on the heels of You know, not just the pandemic But also, you know, the passing of somebody And, and I think it, it, it is saving me to a certain degree I've never enjoyed it as much as I do now um, But I, I it's been a long time since I've been Like feeling, you know, a lot of people talk about that The addiction to getting the laugh Like I, I don't know, you know, I I've been sort of preoccupied with the, with sort of like the craft of it and molding it and, and, and figuring out ways I can take off and improvise and stuff. Yeah. I, but I, I'm not like, you know, beat to beat. I'm not hooked on that. You know, I, there's always a risk to it with me still. And I imagine with you too, that like, I don't know if the next thing's going to work. But no. I like getting in the groove. Yeah. My approach
1: is slightly different now, which is um, I have a show. Yeah you have a talk show I have well, no, I mean I have a talk show, but I also have a like a stand up I have a set
0: that you've been working on
1: yeah so and what i um it's that thing then of okay how do I make this fresh every night and i' I've, how I've hit, do you well i've hit I've hit on a few kind of things and they're all sentences that people say to me so I'm very open to suggestion and I'm very taken by and something that somebody like load up and go that thing that I heard you say that's been with me for years you know um so I, I take sentences that i hear and they just they i live with them for a long time um so a guy that I was touring with said to me one time he said prepare meticulously but once you step onto the stage abandon all preparation for sure so that, that lives with me that's
0: a jazz thing
1: you know what I mean and, and that just
0: i i um, it's the acting thing too, is it? Well, I mean, that's the thing that people say that, like, you know, it, you do all the work, and then you know, when the time comes to to you know do it, you do all the preparation. You you lose the work. You know, you don't you don't think of the work. Anymore. Yeah,
1: that's a hard thing to do. That's it. Uh, well, we've been doing it all, all our lives. So. <laughs> yeah, and I I found when I was the past say four or five years of doing stand up it was taking me so much longer to get a show together and I wasn't as inventive on stage as I used to be. I used to go on, I, used, I would start a tour with a fairly shit show and I would know within 10 days it'd be flying. Yeah. I'd, I just would have that.
0: Well, you just have some ideas, some stories, some things yeah. that were interesting to you that you needed to work out.
1: But in the past four or five years, after six months, I'd still feel as if the show was
0: shit. Do you have less to work out? Are you more No, do you know what it
1: was? It was, I I turned a corner and again it's something you hear yeah words no relax this guy said (laughs) relax as much as you possibly can Uh and I just started doing that and all of a sudden I'm thinking of stuff on stage now so to me it was so now I'm on that buzz as opposed to the hyperventilating buzz got me through the first six months of the year and now this relax just walk out
0: relax yeah so you're a little rusty or something
1: no, not Rusty. It's just that you, it's, you're calm. You're in charge. Sure. You're thinking. Yeah. You're working stuff out while at the same time you know that in your arms you have these wonderful stories you can drop in anytime sure. you want. And you're so. also,
0: you know, here, anyways, you're, you, you know, people love you. You're thousands of people come to see you and they'll, they'll, they, they uh, have a, a tremendous amount of patience and excitement. They know you. So, if you relax, they relax, and then you can all sort of organically move towards something.
1: Yeah, you know, it's easier said than done. No, I get it. You yeah. know, you want to uh, show up with new shit, and you know, you want to be creative, you want to yeah. feel alive.
0: And but where are you at in terms of disposition? I mean, like, you know, the arc of you. I mean, how has your style changed, you think?
1: I try, I, I no more than what I was saying earlier on about um, if you're fully in control of something, it's mm-hmm. not interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know what. The style is, or I well, just intensely tr- Try I not mean. to question it too much. Well, you're more relaxed. We've I'm more relaxed. That. Yeah, but what that also does is, Bob Dylan said this amazing thing. He said, "Never give a hundred percent." Yeah, I'm. I'm all about that. Good for you. And
0: <laughs> that's and don't prepare. That's good.
1: That's. And that is, I find that liberating,
0: because
1: mm. I would have been somebody who tried to eat the audience while I was on stage, you know, just try and gather them and claw them and devour. Oh, so you heard room. this?
0: You heard this mid-career? You heard that? Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. recently, oh, six recently. months ago. Oh, wow! Mm. Never give a
1: hundred percent, and that is just. So I've I've been watching some of his performances, you know, and there are times when he's just. What are you doing?
0: Oh yeah, you can't even understand
1: him. He's just, he's like, he's, he's there in front of you, but he's actually, he's moonwalked off the stage yeah. and oh, he's yeah. in the van. Um, But yeah. what I've found that, that so I consciously try and do that as well. Yeah, Consciously try and just pull back. And what I found is that that, that in terms of en- an energized performance, then you get like taking ecstasy when you, you all of a sudden this rush of energy comes up and you have no option but to express it, yeah, so I find that that's it's not just that the that not giving one hundred percent and the whole performance is lethargic it's it opens a door for other energies, and Dylan is the same, like he'd be he, Dylan might play two or three songs where you're going, okay, it's a little a little uh, something I can and then all of a sudden he's in his full body and he's glinting, but each one makes the other possible. so I mean so I'm in, as a performer. I'll take advice from anybody mm. um, and I'm inspired by loads of different things so, but I'm still intrigued by it I'm still oh yeah I still walk off stage every night going oh that was great but I could push that bit or, or yeah. I, you know so I still love it yeah what, I, what I'm not in love with so much perhaps is the
0: road oh yeah um it's hard for me internationally, but I, I tend to like it when I'm at home. If I can stay at a nice place and I'm only away for a few days at a time. This trip has been two and a half weeks too long for me at this point. Gets, I get a little little squirrely, untethered. But in terms of what you're saying about performing, yeah, I, I always try to make interesting choices with the freedom you have from being relaxed after a lifetime of doing this. That at some point you can you sort of have total liberty and total freedom to to kind of try whatever you want. And and to because you know in your mind that if something doesn't land you've got plenty to you, you're not gonna it's not it's not gonna be the end of you
1: that that's not my thing my thing is that is to give the audience it's paradoxical yeah. I want to give the I want the audience to be swept away I want them to I want the show to whirl and lift and stop hmm. and drive and quiet and loud and but it's about it's so it's not about allowing failure it's about somehow accessing the engine my engine that is these are all this all sounds highfalutin that is in is is in simpatico is that the right word? It's yeah. in tandem with yeah. theirs. Sure.
0: Um, yeah.
1: So it's not about it's not it's not so much about embracing failure. It's but I'm, about I'm, risk. I, I don't know. If,
0: right. Okay, okay. Right. I'm. I'm not. Maybe failure was the wrong word. But you know that. You know if you're in that, no matter what you know risk you take. That you know, it's not going to undermine you. That you know, you 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 are in a zone. So, like, if if something, if you're going somewhere and it doesn't go where you want it to go, you just go another place. Sure, if, yeah. It's
1: it's that thing about about, about finding the zone.
0: Sure, but know? but going back to the the sort of like it seems that like are we
1: lonely, Mark? Are we lonely people? Uh, yeah. That this is an opportunity. So so I've been a huge. Um, you're always someone that i w- I would listen to mm. We're not necessarily going to spend a fierce amount of time together off stage, mm-hmm. but I recognize in you, like I said earlier on, a fellow traveler, yeah, so this is an opportunity, yeah, for me in a w- to talk to somebody in an honest way okay, who I feel is somehow. He, you're my cousin,
0: okay, yeah, I feel that yeah, yeah,
1: you know what I mean, so and I'm happy you look better I, in Montreal, you looked a little
0: frazzled <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i'm trying to make I'm trying to do the Larry David thing of make of of
0: being unashamedly bald it's, I think you would go out better when I saw you in Montreal, there was frizzes. <laughs> There was no haircut And I'm like Oh my god What's, what's happening To Tommy he, he looks like He's aged 40 years I haven't seen him In a couple it of years It was like a Danny DeVito
1: CrossFit Nick Nolte look Oh so I, you know What I'm talking about I was going for you yeah. But oh. I was go- I was I was embracing that I was going I'm not going to Hide my bald spot I'm not going
0: to You look great now It's not hiding anything But the hair is cut And you're just yeah. trimmed I was like oh, Is he alright <laughs> I was at, I literally said Is he alright Yeah Are you it, it gave me energy Okay <laughs> I was concerned. I'm like it must have been hard. You have
1: a full head of tremendous hair. You're you're, you're starting to look like a character from Deadwood. You have a f- Magnificent f- moustache, great sideburns. It's stubble. It's fine hair and anger. I'm, I'm lucky.
0: Yes, but uh, but I was con- I was literally asking people like, what's gone on with him in the last couple? Of- but it was it was just <laughs> it, was it was a decision. It was a decision.
1: But like, Sartorial.
0: like, well, what were you saying about loneliness? But, about,
1: but just about. I mean, you know, um, the. And I don't know, how you've interviewed so many comics and performers and all that type of stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: That thing of, if you have that moment of extreme communion with other people, guaranteed at night.
0: Yeah.
1: It kind of gives you permission to be solitary during the day. Yeah. Because you know you've got this mass in the evening. Are you you good
0: at solitary? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with it, though? I mean, like, for me, like, I'm really, especially when I travel... the world of my head and the world of the world are profoundly different places and you know and i can react to what's going on in my head as if it's real and sometimes it's being generated against my will and 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 like sometimes solitary time i live to be in connection like uh, like this like you and i talking like the podcast has become you know a, a, a big part of my social life and and sort of nurturing to me in terms of the type of conversations we have, but if I wander alone, eventually I feel invisible. As a cloud? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It feels like that. I'm just a vapor moving (laughs) through the world. But uh, so like in part of the challenge just that I've been doing with even in this two weeks, because this is the longest trip I've taken post-pandemic, it's just sort of like, you know, dude, you know, you're still tethered, you know, you're of the world. You know, don't lose your fucking mind just because you're away for two weeks. Uh, Do you have enough gigs in the two weeks to keep you tethered? Not this time. Okay, okay. but but I have had a lot of conversations. So yes, I've had you know three. There's going to be three stand-up shows and like five conversations. Okay. So yeah, it's been good, and I love coming here. I like coming to Dublin. Yeah, yeah. I like the bread. I like the the feel of the air. I like the way the place looks. No, I don't drink. No, it's bad. I haven't drank in 23 years, 24 years. Oh, really? oh, okay. Well, you you were sober for a while. For eight years, and then my wife asked me to start drinking again. And have you handled it?
1: Sometimes. I drink whiskey. I think it's too... Um, Why were you sober? I was sober because I was a splash of a man. Does that make sense? I was just splashing everywhere. <laughs>
0: It's a it's 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 a nice way to say something. Yeah, I, it's, I imagine it's the, it's the Disney version. There, I imagine there were some violent <laughs> waves during the splashing.
1: Yeah, a couple of a couple of close calls, <laughs> there was some drowning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. So the splashing a lot of times was you
0: flailing in yeah. the water. Yeah, I was just to, um... but you knew this when you were a young man, obviously, in order to stop.
1: No, I, I just, I think sometimes you need uh, three warnings, mm. you yeah. know, and uh, I got my first warning. I kind of went, oh, okay. That's a, that's interesting. I got the second warning. I went, mm, yeah, yeah. And the third one, I, it was real easy. It was the third warning came. I went, okay, oh, this is real easy. I'm stopping. What was it? I can't died? tell you. No, I, I'll tell you one of them. Which I've kind of almost turned into a um, through the, th- the through the telling of the story, yeah. you don't t- have to accept responsibility for the seriousness of the situation. Sure, it becomes uh, cute a tale yeah. that you work.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, I was I started taking this particular day. I started taking coke about two o'clock in the afternoon. It was a long, long time ago. For any bastard journalists out there listening, I might want to turn it into a headline.
0: You started snorting some coke in the middle of the day. Yeah, because you bit, t- t- two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I know that day. Yeah.
1: Then I got to the gig and I started drinking and taking the coke. And then... God, he must have had a nice amount of coke. Yeah. Okay. And I wasn't sharing it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. One of those... Well, if you're mo- going to start at two and not want to <laughs> go to the dealer by five, got to have pretty well set up. Um, yeah. And then...
1: So, And I don't want to glorify any of this Because I have You know I've got six kids Six? Yeah And I don't want people to All I'd say about drugs is I'm
0: glad I'm not curious anymore Yeah Well now's the terrible time to do them Because everything could be the last drug you do Just because of what someone puts in it Sure That should be I mean when when we were doing drugs When I was doing drugs It was like You kind of knew You know It might not be all the drug That you think you're taking But whatever it wasn't Wasn't going to kill you No you're robust enough but no, but no one's robust enough to fight fentanyl, and they're just sticking that in everything. Yeah. So it's very, powders and pills are a big risk. Go um, ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling this story in a kind of slightly lighthearted way, but I, um, because I have the privilege of survival. Yes. Um, you get to the gig. Uh, get to the gig, I start drinking and blah, 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 and then I take ecstasy. And oh, my then God. I, then I leave the club yeah. at two o'clock in the morning with, right. a, f- with a full bottle of vodka. Oh, yeah. Uh, I go to a 24-hour pool hall where I play by myself. It's, you know, more drugs, more drink. And I go to an early house.
0: Yeah. What's that? A pub so an, that an early house,
1: they're usually bars down by the
0: docks yeah.
1: where the sailors all come in. Uh-huh. <laughs> Perhaps you'll pick them out again.
0: Yeah. This, How long must this, he wait? This is going to be an interesting <laughs> story. <laughs> Sounds like a lot was So on. I got talking
1: to this guy with yeah. one eye who used to work on the it's like a thing from a Tom Waits anecdote. Yeah. I got talking to this guy with one eye who used to work on the on the railroad and eleven o'clock in the morning I went in and that was the last of the cocaine. Yeah. And uh Wow, I, that's a good amount. I went you. I went back to the, my hotel and on the way I collapsed in the street and woke up in hospital. And uh I had all these wires sticking out of me and yeah. Um, I had a big cut on my head from where I collapsed I collapsed outside a hairdressers and the women inside called an ambulance Um, and I woke up and I was still a bit out of it and the doctors were asking me questions and I couldn't really respond to anything and um, I had another gig in the same club that night so at six o'clock I just untethered myself from all the different things and walked down and did my next show yeah, so that was the first warning I got. That
0: was the first one. Yeah, that's a pretty dramatic, one.
1: Yeah, that's it. And but then you know, I I don't really, I haven't accepted. It's a story.
0: Do you know sometimes you tell stories? Of course, because you don't. And, be, and then when somebody it, comes up to you and goes, "Oh my god, yeah, that was horrible," and you're like, "What?" Yeah, you don't. A it's almost a, it's that it's like
1: maybe that thing you were saying earlier, wrong, where you use the storytelling as a defense mechanism of having to deal with it sure because you're in control of the experience when it's a story when somebody else comes at you and goes so can we dig into that a little bit and how did you feel yeah i can't fuck that you know look it's a story you know that's
0: interesting though Um, that that element of it because like i've done you know material like that and people are like oh my god are you okay i'm like what are you talking about yeah it's a story (laughs) yeah Don't you realize I do this to avoid the feelings? <laughs> yeah, totally. <I> mean. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so I was, I was eight years off drink and, uh, and I started again. It was, it was all fine, really. Uh, no, stay no, fine? Stay fine. I get, I get too drunk sometimes, you know, but it's, that, that's easily done with whiskey. But it's not life-ruining drunk. No, it's just what I, what I realized about drink is that, you know, people say, oh, it's a, it's a depressant. Yeah. And I would go, what are you talking about? I feel wonderful. It's the next day that you feel depressed, yeah, especially as you get older, right? You know, we yeah. kind of go, "Why am I? Why is my mood so low at two o'clock in the afternoon? Depleted. When there is no need for me to be this, uh, for the, for me to be beating this slowly. There is no need. And then you kind of go, "Hang on a minute. I got. I was a little bit twizzled last night. I I drink every day, and I drink whiskey every day."
0: Well, I mean, I guess the key is, like, when you have that moment in the afternoon, when you're feeling that and asking those questions, that you don't start drinking then.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I always, (laughs) I wait till everybody I love is in bed. (laughs) And just drink alone? (laughs) And then I I, I drink alone a lot, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, I was, so I was drinking alone in my hotel room last night. I was drinking whiskey. And I said, I kind of, is this weird, you know? People say oh, we should never drink alone. And I met this man one time who yeah. lived on his own yeah. in a cottage on the side of a hill. Yeah. And he says, I I drink a lot, but I, I never drink on my own in the house. And then I remembered a photograph I saw of Bob Dylan yeah. drinking whiskey on his own. I said, Well that that, that gives me permission. If he
0: does it. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> you use Dylan as a point of reference quite a bit. He's one of yeah,
1: he'd be a star in the sky that I'd navigate by. Yeah. You know. I am a uh I'm a minor, a kind of... I'm not a star. I'm a kind of... I'm a local poet. And sometimes local poets can be silenced when they get intimidated by the Nobel laureate. So I have to be careful with, say, someone... with artists who are so much better than I am. I have to... I have to be really careful that I that they don't because they're so profoundly
0: brilliant. Yeah. Like who? Well, I mean, uh, I like the local poet thing and I like that you know you understand your place in the world that you occupy. Yeah.
1: So for example, if I read too much about Dylan or <laughs> I just it, I I I I end up paralyzed by the fact that I'm so jealous that I'm not him. Oh. I just went to... They have a Bob Dylan
0: center now in Tulsa.
1: Yeah. But I went to the Oh, opening. no, don't go to Little. Oh, I really? Went.
0: Yeah, but the weird thing is, is like, you know, I saw the, the sort of um, all the different versions of Tangled Up in Blue, the notebooks and notebooks, yeah. and my thought was like, I write in notebooks. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm not going to be Dylan. It would yeah. be a, a less interesting uh, museum, but but I do write in notebooks. There's a song called Dignity mm. that he
1: filled He filled 59 pages uh, and it ends up; it's a four-minute song, Sure. and you just be, you just, you know, you end up comparing yourselves to these. Yeah, are they, I mean, he's yeah. a country, yeah. uh, and you're a yeah. village, and you just go, "Was there even any reason in my trying to do what I do?" So I need to be careful. Maybe careful. Yeah, Dylan would be the main one that I'm kind of very wary of, of. Becoming too enamored with And you remember things he said You'd never let other people Get your kicks for you You know what I mean So okay That's that's the thing Okay yeah. Stop listening to me Is what yeah. he's saying <laughs> Yeah You're not me I'm not even he's me He's got good boundaries
0: Yeah exactly Exactly you know, so, so but also Intimidation though Like you know You've been getting in trouble For, for saying things Before cancel culture Yeah I got
1: in trouble For saying things But I never got into trouble With the audience I was saying it to Uh huh So that makes it okay that that legitimizes it 100%. I'm in a room, I say something. If I say something to you and you laugh, it's yeah. automatically legitimate. Uh-huh. If somebody hears what we've been talking about right. and, takes and, and takes exception to it, that's none of their business. It is none of their business. We were talking in the room and it would, it would we made each other laugh. That's all we were trying to do. If I'm talking in a room of 400 people and this... I say something shocking yeah, but they laugh yeah it's okay. you're off the hook one hundred percent even
0: if two people are crying now you're complicating the narrative <laughs> <laughs> well it's really about the two people crying that, yeah. no,
1: no, this is, that's a difference that oh, in my a- in my memory that's not what happened <laughs> <laughs> in my memory they were all laughing
0: oh, okay yeah I get, it. I <laughs> if, get
1: it. it if two people are crying then then the two people should come up and say we took obsession to that.
0: Yeah, they. And you will say what?
1: No, so I'm, I, 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 am often. I'm more upset by stuff I say than anybody else. Uh huh.
0: So, when you get away with it?
1: No, when because I'm I. It's a position of power. Yeah, being on stage. Uh, it's also a position of extreme irresponsibility, mm. and that's the that's the delight of it. Right is to come out. And to be feckless mm. and to be the outsider and say whatever comes into your head and to, for people to know that you're joking sure but i would if if one person in the room gets upset at what I say, I feel awful sometimes that one person is just me, and I feel awful yeah so it's i it's not a thing of uh being a kind of a bulletproof blaster at all. Uh, but it is a thing of going, if, hang on, if it worked in the room, that's the only place it was supposed to work. You can't, I used to say, it's like sometimes you might say something to your partner during sex. Yeah. That's, no, yeah. That's yeah. not appropriate at the breakfast table.
0: Well, yeah, none of it is.
1: Okay. So yeah. stand up is the same to me that it worked in the moment, leave it and move on.
0: Given that Ireland in and of itself has become more progressive than than America in a lot of ways, uh, politically and otherwise, like, is there, do you temper yourself no. at all? Do you no. change your disposition no. about the voices you do, about the approach you no, do? No, you can't. You have to
1: be uh, giddy. You Once you start. But you're not doubling down, you're just. Being what you are, yeah. I'm not. I'm not after anything. I'm just going out and seeing what happens, and I trust everything because I I trust my intention, and my intention is to. I'm, I'm, no, you can you, you can have more than one intention, but I trust myself on stage, absolutely. And I and I know that if I stop, if I start censoring myself on stage, it's over. you're no longer. Uh, energized, and you're no longer unpredictable to watch. You're no longer thrilling. You're because the 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 instinct that can say that can lead you to say you to say something shocking is also the instinct that makes you
0: reach for the
1: sky in terms of saying something holy.
0: No, yes, yeah, there's nothing better than saying something profound, shocking, and and new. Uh, but but I, even
1: just even going
0: for a mo- uh, reaching for a moment. Yes.
1: That is so other. That is so yeah, transgression or some no no tra- not transgression no transcendence yes okay. t-
0: now you can be you can transgress a few minutes later. But it's just to so follow it, this. Follow the impulse. Sure, but it's it's actually transcendence through transgression. A lot of times, when we're talking about taking the the risk of of saying the thing that you want to say, even you're trusting yourself. But you, we're talking about controversy. We're talking about saying things. No, we're not. Tra- may- no, 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 no. I'm saying that you can
1: say something yeah. that people can't believe right. you said. That's it. And then ten minutes later,
0: that's silence,
1: and people are going, "What's
0: happening? What the fuck is happening?" Uh-huh. And you know in your heart that because you got a good heart, you didn't hurt anybody. It's exciting yeah. and it's holy and it's.
1: So I, you know, I I um, when you say it's it, unfair sometimes, you know, to me, it's unfair sometimes for journalists to to. It doesn't seem to happen as much as there was a kind of a fever of it. Mm. A lot of people, you know, um, there was a fever, but I think it's I think it's past. I think people in the room. I think if people in the room get offended, it's stand-up is theoretically democratic. Mm. So they're entitled to say, that's not funny. And then you deal with it there and then. Right, or they can leave. Or they can leave. But I I really, uh, that would, uh, I really do. I remember doing material before, many, many years ago, that it was a character that was racist and sexist and everything mm-hmm. and then and would go through a list of his grievances and through the telling of the story you realize that at the end of it the character was on his own in a room hoping and praying that the people that he said that he hated would actually come and visit him but it was a kind of a it was a very subtle revelation and it was Uh, I didn't do the character in a different voice. I didn't introduce the character. I just launched into this tirade. Yeah. I hate and then just fill in the gap. Right. And I remember once uh, a person walked out of the show and uh, I remember going, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not that, it's not working. It's not clear enough to everybody what I'm doing. It's clear to me, but it's not clear to them. So I'm dropping it.
0: So that was a a, a a a sort of craft issue. It was also a hurt issue. I did, I, that, but you didn't want to contextualize it. You'd rather drop it. You I, didn't want to set it up differently.
1: No, I didn't want to over it. it. It made sense to me, not to them. Okay, it's gone. We're done with it. Move on. What's the new show about? I don't know. If I knew what the new show was about, there'd be no point in doing it. But it's coming together?
0: It's ready to no, it's, go? No, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's been together for the past 10 months. I have it. It's, it's there. It's... To me, it's about staying one st- it, It's about simultaneously being one step ahead of the audience and at the same time taking them with you. So you give them what they expect, but not in a way that they expect it. And you, there has to be times during the show where they have no idea what's happening or what's going to happen next. So I tell, there's some very clean stand-up. There's some very well-structured, classic, old-school story stand-up. Bulletproof in the sense that I know it works. Yeah, there are other stories then where we talk about darker things, and you you have a sense of the audience going, "Where the fuck is this going?" And then we get into a bit of filth at the end, just to classic, a, uh, classic. filth ending.
0: Just, <laughs> just you know, um, yeah. So that's that's the shape of the show at the moment. Uh, Bill Hicks called it, I think, "Dick Joke Island," where you land after the the ark. <laughs> That's really, in.
1: totally everyone leaves uh, a <laughs> friend of mine said something very interesting the other day he said uh, the audience should leave in feeling better than they did when they came in that's a g- good thing to ponder on for a while
0: yeah and I guess it's like up to anybody uh, in terms of who's doing it how, how, how they're going to try to make that happen but I I remember going to see you
1: uh-huh. in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, and what made you feel like there wasn't a happy ending or anything? But uh, what <laughs> I know. <laughs> when well, was that? Uh, it was in a very small room. It was probably um, uh, you were. I tell you when it was. You were two hundred episodes into the podcast.
0: Okay. Because yeah. remember,
1: you gave some sort of speech uh,
0: in. Oh, that was right. The the that was the uh, the star- keynote. No keynote. This is in Starbucks. You just stood up and started talking. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it. it was a very emotional thing to be asked to do that yeah because i was always so threatened in montreal that there were just so many people that were so much funnier than me so i had to sort of be honest and i did that speech and it worked out okay it was fantastic got some I, good laughs
1: i also remember you met your manager or your agent yeah in the foyer of the hotel and he said hey marin m-a-r-o-n remember me <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah that's right
1: um, so it's not with them anymore are no, you still with becky I don't do enough in America, really, to no. to justify having representation. Is that a
0: disappointment to you?
1: Um, I, I, I just want to, I just want, I just want to do what I do.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's a so odd kind of, answer. I've
1: kind of lost the, I've lost any geographical ambition. Um. But do you feel like you tried? I, not really, I, yeah. I kind of, uh, I didn't knock on the door, I kind of looked in the window, and right. I wasn't invited in, so I mm-hmm. said, okay, that's okay. Um, but I'd, I'd like, I well, I got a big thrill this year of playing Montreal, playing to people who didn't really know me, yeah. and I loved that, and I did a tour of the UK, again, it's the same thing where people didn't really know me, and I loved that. So Why did I, they
0: not know you? They came to see you, right? So adorable.
1: well, I. I it, they came to see, but um, it's kind of like a a date as opposed to a uh, taking your wife out to dinner. Be-
0: okay. Does that make sense? Uh, no, I get it. I get it. But, but but there are people not unlike me. Like, you must see people your age in the audience that have grown up with you.
1: N- no. I What I see is, say, in Montreal, I saw people who maybe had seen me once or twice in Montreal before, but that was it. Okay. Seen a few things on TV. But here here people. In Ireland, in Ireland, it's a bit different. Um, I'm almost part of the establishment here now. Right, okay, yeah. In that I started doing stand-up and I became very well-known quite quickly here. Yeah. Um, and then I started to get into trouble for stuff that I've said, but that, that was a... Del- some of that was accidental and joyful. Yeah. And some of it was... Uh, it was like an assassination attempt by scurrilous journalists and newspapers um, so then people didn't know and then I went through a phase of being kind of wild and angry and that people kind of said oh, I don't really like him anymore mm. and then I started doing in the past year this chat show that's uh, great it, I, don't you love doing that well it's a little, I would say I love doing it because it's, it's a little bit different I, again it, no more than when I started stand-up looking at Lenny Bruce and kind of going wow um, I started the chat show because of Letterman mm. and I loved the way he was able just to be funny and he never had to do that line again mm-hmm. and I, I said okay well well, I'd like to do something like that but the twist that I have to my chat show is so it goes out it's, it's prime time on Saturday night but the twist of the chat show is I have no idea who's walking on be oh, I
0: see. Uh, you really don't?
1: I have no idea. Oh, okay. So there's three guests per night. Sometimes they're famous, sometimes they're ordinary members of the public. But I have no idea who's coming oh, That's on. exciting. Uh, and the that has landed in a way with this country that is, again... I can't fully explain the show or I understand why people like it or it's that thing of it's slightly beyond my control. I can't really define it. So that has kind of... Re- love it though. People love it. Yeah. Um, that has re-established me in the m- minds of most people in Ireland as, okay, we like that. Yeah. He's, he, he's okay. <laughs> Whereas I, I was out, you know, I was the lunatic with, the broken vodka bottle on the hill screaming at the primary school children and they were kind of going, we don't like him. But now I'm in the town making shoes yeah, as yeah. well.
0: <laughs> oh, look, the cobbler. Yeah.
1: Remember when he was angry? Yeah. He still gets angry every now and again. He goes, is that him? It
0: can't be. But you're saying that when you go out and do the UK and stuff that that there is a new audience. or In yeah. Montreal, there is a new audience. And I love
1: that. And so someone said to me, okay, Tommy, um, your wife and kids are going to travel with you. You're going to spend the next year Traipsing around the states doing shows, I'd say sign me up for that, please. I'd love that. I'd love to. Really, I would love to play to people who aren't familiar with me. I'm confident enough with what I do on stage to know I'm not going to be broken by the experience, and I have enough uh, yeah competence to kind of manage the moment. When was the last time you did that? A tour <clears> of the states? Uh, I haven't been. I, I did a uh, comics. I did a comics comedy club in New, New York. York. Oh, in the, yeah. A that, long time ago. That's, that
0: was a beautiful place that lasted 10 minutes. Really? That all? It was, that oh, was a lovely, lovely place. Treated you well, paid you good, absolutely. put you up in a nice hotel. Absolutely. Closed in a year. <laughs> Something like that. Um, so yeah, so wait, I, how old is your
1: youngest kid? My youngest boy is 10. Oh, so you've really. And my oldest is 29. And I have a granddaughter as well. Two wives? Two, peep, two one people. Wa- one, one wife. Yeah. One girlfriend. Okay. That. so how many with the three and three? Oh wow okay um, so I started very young you know um, get along with all of them uh, yeah I do my kids are great I think that the thing about my experience of having children is that it's a it's the it's the call to relationship so there's an opportunity for relationship all the time yeah now I'm not a great dad, Uh, I'm not practical, I'm not, part of me actually doesn't know how to be a dad, I don't know what they want. Um, A friend of mine said one time, shelter, your duty as a father to provide shelter, and that can be physical, financial, I wouldn't be great at emotional shelter, but I'm there, and it's the call to relationship. So I I and I need totems. I'm one of those people who need totems. So uh, these all the tattoos I have, they're all. I, my mind needs. Hmm. Th- Tommy, don't forget, don't forget, because uh, because yeah. I, I can guess I can I can. It's that like, it's almost like living in a monastery that has. We pray at seven. We pray at ten we have lunch at 12 we work from 2 to 5 There's a, the day is marked and in a kind of f- f- fucked up way the tattoos are like that for me I kind of going don't forget don't forget don't forget so the next one I'm going to get is just the names of my kids as, as a thing of relationship you have this relationship You have because th- a lot of time on your own you know in hotel rooms in towns where you don't live and you're kind of, what am I going to do all day? I'm going to buy a book and I'll watch a movie. And then I'm it's so self indulgent, even though you have this orchestra of an evening waiting for you. Uh, so I need the totems. I need the kind what of. What
0: do the tattoos mean?
1: So the, there's a tattoo of a bird on my hand. And to me, that's about instinct. And that maybe your instinct isn't always bad, Tommy. Maybe in the way that you look at a bird fluttering here, there, and everywhere, obeying its own impulses. And Do you, you have a dead bird on the other hand? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I look at that and I go, okay, you're yeah. in- insane. The four of my fingers are the four evangelists. And that's a reminder that outside of the church, outside of Catholicism and the Pope, that I get something out of reading the Gospels. away from dogma away from orthodoxy away from just a private encounter between me and this story and the radical nature of the Gospels I get something out of that so they all mean something Um, so yeah so so the thing with the children is that it's a it's an opportunity like so say a person without children is on their own that's me. In a room in a hotel. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you're thinking well, what am I going to do today? And from when I'm in that situation, I have a thing, okay, I have six children and I can phone any of them up and have a conversation. And And I, they're like, Oh, dad's in a hotel again. Yeah. Well, I think I think you. I think one of my daughters is definitely Hey there <laughs> Are you Are you alone in a hotel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, Dad. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like that. So it's it's yeah. a it's a it's a call to relationship.
0: Where where are you with Jesus?
1: I don't understand most of it. I don't under. I buy a lot of books about Jesus, and I don't understand the vast majority of it. Mm. I don't. I don't. When people talk about I have a relationship with, I go what, where, how? I don't. Yeah. Un, I don't get that. I. Uh, A line from um, the Gospel according to Luke: uh, "Sell all you have and come follow me." Now, now that is so countercultural that it's
0: it's so so, so feels like a tremendous responsibility (laughs) on whose on his (laughs) half, especially when you (laughs) you don't know what he looks like. They come follow me. You leave the hotel and you're looking for them. <laughs> yeah. Just, no, I, don't, I, I think that's no. one of the reasons why I, I always keep people at. Uh, or, uh, like, like, in terms of when we were talking earlier, we didn't get to the part where I didn't have a happy ending when you saw me. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. More about you. Uh, no, I'm so, just saying so, that, like, I, 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 know what, I don't know what to do with followers. I, I, I barely know what to do with fans, you know? And oh, yeah. Because, like, it, it's uh, emotionally, it, it kind of. Uh, I have bad boundaries so it exhausts me emotionally so the, the idea of someone selling their things and following me to me is not that i'm luke but even just for him you know it'd be like oh my god and then you get these people you got to feed them you got to tell them what to do with their lives so if you met
1: much easier you say i feel bad for you
0: <laughs> yes good luck yeah
1: i <laughs> hope everything works out i gotta go yeah um so that yeah so that, that's what but i'm 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 He'd be a hero. I'm constantly in, intrigued and I would say, uh, yeah, he, he's no more than, I'm very interested in him. Yeah. And I, and I don't even know if him is the right
0: word. The Jesus. Yeah. I
1: don't, I'm don't. i very interested.
0: All right. So let's talk about my unhappy ending. Uh,
1: when I left that show, I remember it was in a thin room. There was a kind of a metal staircase towards the back. The seats were more than, no more than four or five per row. And what was refreshing was the there was not a happy ending, but I kind of felt, you know, when you see other unhappy people, and I kind of,
0: <laughs> yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah, it kind of says you're not alone. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's my job for the unhappy, <laughs> for the for the sensitive, creative ones that just I don't felt, feel. I just felt good that I'm not. I have seen myself reflected. There you go, and that that explains my my very specific audience. <laughs> A glum lot Looking for a little relief
1: I was very taken by that I was Because that's an unusual voice in stand-up Because you're not a slave To The dick joke You're not a slave to um, That rhythm And that's very refreshing There aren't that many people who speak Honestly on stage I think you do I don't really Mark, I
0: play You, know. you mix it up though I'm just saying that totally. you do talk about yourself Yes yeah. yeah. Well, it was good talking to you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Tommy Tiernan. That was nice. Nice talking to an Irish fella. Uh, Tommy Hector and Larita. the podcast, is available wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch uh, him and the Dairy Girls on Netflix. And now we all hang out for a second. Folks, I told you we'd post some stand-up for you. But then I got the HBO special, and I wanted to wait until after that was done. This week, we're posting more than a half an hour of stuff I did over the past year that didn't make it into the special. I've posted that I wrote today. This is what's going on today. Hard to decide who to listen to when nobody shuts the fuck up. fucking live in a culture filled with like amateur talk radio show hosts and wrestling heels what the fuck happened this is from two days ago when i hate myself i hate everyone who has ever liked me (laughs) okay This is what I do, and this is part of the show. (laughs) This is not notes. This is all prepared. I know what I'm doing here. I'm sharing what I do. Sometimes I do it on bigger pieces of paper. The, The bigger writing, I had to, yeah, I had to pull the car over to do that. That was urgent. I'll share some of that with you. We are wired for duplicity. Our parents aren't who we think they are. I had to pull over for that. And then right under it, it says gaslighting parenting. This isn't fucking lighthearted shit. Is this comedy? I think it is. That was my set from last year at Town Hall in New York. Last November, so a year and a month before I shot my special at Town Hall. You can sign up for the full Marin if you're not already subscribed. Go to the link in the episode description or click on WTF Plus at WTFPod.com. On Thursday, James Austin Johnson from Saturday Night Live uh, is on the show. He just I was in Nashville and I was on stage and I was talking to Chad Ryden from the stage, a guy who went to Prince's Chicken with me for the first time when I almost had to go to the emergency room. And I thought there was other people there. And I asked who, who was with us. And he said, James Austin Johnson. And I'm like, what? I don't remember that at all. So I thought I didn't know this guy and I knew this guy. And then there was another guy I didn't even know was there. I don't know if I'm getting dementia like my dad or what, but, uh, but I just, I got, I got to talk to the guy and it was great talk. He's very funny. His Trump is hilarious. That thing he did, the Dylan thing he did on Fallon. Oh my god, guy's a talented guy and a good guy. All right, here's some uh, here's some chords that are familiar to anyone who hears me play guitar. But by the way, I've been fucking around with an open G tuning with just five strings, like Keith. So fun. You know, you can just learn how to play guitar on YouTube. Do you guys know that? <laughs> find a cat angel.